This morning I'm reading scripture from Mark chapter 15, verses 22 to 41. I will be reading from the message. The soldiers brought Jesus to Golgotha, meaning Skull Hill. They offered him a mild painkiller, wine mixed with myrrh, but he wouldn't take it. And they nailed him to the cross. They divided up his clothes and threw dice to see who would get them. They nailed him up at nine o'clock in the morning. The charge against him, the King of the Jews, was printed on a poster. Along with him, they crucified two criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. You bragged that you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. So show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from that cross. The high priests, along with the religion scholars, were right there, mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Messiah, is he? King of Israel? Then let him climb down from that cross. We'll all become believers then. Even the men crucified alongside him joined in the mockery. At noon, the sky became extremely dark. The darkness lasted three hours. At three o'clock, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders who heard him said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran off, soaked a sponge in sour wine, and put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus, with a loud cry, gave his last breath. At that moment, the temple curtain ripped right down the middle. When the Roman captain, standing guard in front of him, saw that he had quit breathing, he said, this has to be the Son of God. There were women watching from a distance, among them Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of the younger James and Joses, and Salome. When Jesus was in Galilee, these women followed him and served him and had come up with him to Jerusalem. This is God's word to us. Thank you, God. Well, hi, everyone. And welcome again to our Good Friday service. Uh, this is not like any Good Friday that I can remember. These are pretty strange times. But this day uh, is a reminder that there are some things that don't change. Even though everything around us feels like it's been thrown into upheaval, we're in these very, very strange times, there are some truths of our faith that don't change. And today we remember and proclaim, as John did, that this is the day when Christ came as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. And so I hope you are encouraged this morning to think that, that there are things that are constant, there are things that, that we can still believe, even though we may be worshiping in a way that... Uh, Maybe no Christians have really worshipped before in this way, at least on this scale. Um, we know that God is the same. 
the story of our salvation is the same. Right? So I, I hope you're encouraged this morning. I want to take a little bit of a detour before I really start the message, or at least to begin the message. Um, these are very strange times that we're experiencing in, in isolation, right? Uh, I was just thinking the other day, I wonder who was the last person that I shook hands with. Do you remember the last person you shook hands with? It's probably been about a month or maybe a little more since you shook hands with somebody. And that was something that I used to do every day, meet different people and shake their hand. And at some point, it was the last person I was going to shake hands with for apparently a very long time. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, but that's just kind of a, a, kind of a strange thought. Uh, probably for, for most of you, this is uh, the longest you've gone without having any real contact, without human contact, without anyone uh, outside of your own home. That's kind of a strange thing. Uh, I wonder if you've had this experience. You go for a walk in your neighborhood and you're walking down the sidewalk and you see somebody coming towards you on the same sidewalk. And at least in my neighborhood, the sidewalks are not wide enough for two people to pass each other and maintain the six feet of distance that we're all supposed to have. And so if you're a responsible citizen, you're seeing this person and you're thinking, it's possible that they have the virus. It's possible that I have the virus. And so to avoid spreading it, one of us needs to cross to the other side of the street. And so you go to the other side of the street and you walk down. That's fine. But I wonder if you've had this experience. You, you see someone coming towards you and they cross the street before you ever get to them. I know why they did it. They're being a good citizen. They're doing what I was just about to do myself. But every time that happens, there's a little tiny part of me that feels a little bit, I don't know, slighted or offended. There's a part of me that thinks, what's, what's so wrong with me that this person has to cross to the other side of the street? I feel ever so slightly insecure about that experience. Now, we're all in self-isolation. There's a, a sense of camaraderie about what's happening here. And so maybe you wave at the person or whatever, and we're all having kind of the same, same experience here. But it makes me think about uh, people in ancient times and even much more recent history who have had uh, illnesses that were stigmatized in some way. So a pretty old example that we're familiar with from Bible stories and such is uh, a person who has leprosy. And back in the day, there was no cure for it. People were frightened of someone who had leprosy because they didn't want to catch it. And so if you had leprosy and you were walking into a town, people saw you, they would yell at you, throw rocks, whatever, try to keep you out of their town so that they wouldn't catch the disease. That must have been an extremely emotionally painful experience aside from the actual effects of the disease itself. And I'm sure you can think of much more recent example of people who have stigmatized diseases in some way. I want to tell you a little story. Um, this is a true story. About 150 years ago, there was this guy named Father Damien. He was a Catholic priest. He was from uh, Belgium. And the church sent him as a missionary to Hawaii, which seems like a pretty, pretty good place to go as a missionary. And um, so he goes to Hawaii. He's this new priest, new missionary in this, in this new country. He, he learns the language and all of this. And uh, a little while after he gets there, they have a public health crisis in Hawaii. 
What has happened is that this formerly very isolated island kingdom has all of these foreign visitors coming and foreign workers and all of this, and they're bringing diseases from all different parts of the world, and there's diseases spreading around, and one of the diseases that's spreading is leprosy. It's very serious, very frightening, because uh, back then there was no known cure for leprosy. It was, it was a very serious disease if somebody got it. And so the king of Hawaii decides, uh, we will set up an area for these lepers to be quarantined. And so they find this very remote, very run-down village. It's really just a collection of shacks off in the mountains somewhere. And they say, anybody who has contracted leprosy has to go out to this village to live and then eventually die. So Father Damien, this new ministry, this new missionary, finds himself uh, in ministry to these people living at this leper colony. And he's... uh, trying to figure out how to reach out to them and this kind of thing. And, and he decides that the, the only way to really do ministry with this group of people is to move into the leper colony himself. And so he does. He moves in. He is uh, he's running worship services. He is building buildings, digging graves, all of these different things. But the, one of the main things that he's doing is he is... Uh, replacing people's bandages, tending to their wounds. He's making food and sharing meals with them, really sharing his life with them. And a lot of people criticized uh, Father Damien at the time for doing this. They said, you should have much more distance between yourself and these people with leprosy. You're not being safe. Uh, You you shouldn't even be in the colony and this kind of thing. Uh, But he he continued to live there. And he, he told the people who lived at the colony... He said, I will be like a brother to you, I will be like a father to you, and I will die here at this leper colony. He was that serious about it. So after about 10 years of living and working and worshiping at this leper colony, one day Father Damien accidentally spills a pot of boiling water on his foot. And when he does, he realized that he, he, he felt no pain in that moment. And Father Damien knew that... Uh, the loss of sensitivity to pain is one of the first signs of leprosy. And he suddenly discovered that he was a sick man ministering to other sick people. About five years went on, his health deteriorates over time. And finally, April 15th of 1889, he died of, of leprosy. Now, if you're hearing this story and thinking I'm about to tell you to ignore the social distancing guidelines and go out and touch people who have coronavirus and live with them and eat with them and this kind of thing, that's not the point of this story. Don't do that. It would be foolish. You'd be a risk to yourself and to other people. Just don't do that. I am telling you this story, though, to demonstrate something. And what I hope this story demonstrates for you is that often the work of a healer involves risk. It involves risk of, of damaging your own health in some way. Father Damien was there as a missionary, but he really wound up being essentially the, the primary medical care for the people at this leper colony. And he knew that in doing that, in handling people's bandages and eating with them and this kind of thing, there's a good chance he would get leprosy, and, and he did. But this is often the case with with the work of healing. And really, this is the case with any kind, of, any kind of a rescue operation or anything like that. If you think of uh, 
of a firefighter who sees a building that's on fire and somebody is trapped in that building, that firefighter is going to have to go into the same smoke and flames that this other person is trapped by in order to save them. It involves risk. And, and this, is, this is especially true when we're talking about healing in some ways. If you were to turn on the, on the news right now, you wouldn't have to watch for very long before you saw stories of doctors and nurses and other healthcare providers who are putting their own health at risk treating people who have coronavirus. Right? They have to be treated, but they know that in offering health care to these people, there is some chance that they will get sick themselves. That's just what healing involves. I'm telling you this because I want you to think of Good Friday as a day of healing in some way. Good Friday is a day when we, when we look at sort of the culmination of the trajectory that began with Christmas is the story of a world sick unto death with sin and the God who enters his own creation to offer healing to that world. Right? And, and Jesus comes into the world that is suffering from the power of death knowing, knowing what's going to happen to him, knowing that he is going to experience weakness and suffering and even death. And that's that's the story of Good Friday. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that a suffering servant would come, and we believe that is, that is Jesus. And he wrote this about him. Isaiah says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. In uh, Mark chapter 15, which Jan read for us earlier, Mark records Jesus' last words. It's a, it's a prayer, it's a quote from Psalm 22. Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I've thought about that cry often and thought, how can it be that the Son of God says these words. I don't know what to do with that. It's a painful, difficult thing to hear. But then I, I think about this. I think that cry is exactly where all of us live before Jesus came to us. Paul says that we were uh, uh, strangers, enemies of God. We were like foreigners to God outsiders to God. Right? We, that sense of abandonment by God. We all lived in this place of feeling total alienation from God, being totally distant, unable to even approach him. Right now, with all that's going on, I've, I've heard a number of people on the news talk about uh, with this coronavirus, there's this great fear of dying alone that so many people have. 
That's a real fear. It's a scary thing to think of dying alone. It's a scary thing to think of dying alone, totally distant from God. And Jesus cries out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. And that is the moment where Jesus' life and our lives intersect. That's the moment where Jesus comes all the way to the place where you and I were already living. And he takes on the fate that you and I already had. It was already our fate to die alone, totally distant from God. And that's where Jesus chooses to put himself right in our place. And because of what he did, that is no longer our fate. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you no longer cry out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because you know you're not abandoned by God. See, Jesus came and made himself totally like us in every way so that he could be our brother. And as our brother, he's able to take us into places that we never rightfully belonged. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. He is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Then he says this, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's us, it was entirely appropriate that that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source or the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus came totally into the place where you and I were, became totally like us in every way, yet without sin, so that we could be called his brothers and sisters. The writer continues in, um, let's see, I'll start in, in verse 17 of Hebrews 2. Therefore, Jesus had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. He made himself our brother. T.S. Eliot described Jesus as a wounded surgeon who is operating on his patient even as his own hands are bleeding. It would be tempting to think of Jesus as somebody who is accidentally wounded in the, in the course of duty. But don't misunderstand what the writer of Hebrews is telling you. It is the wounds of Jesus that qualify him as our healer. It's the wounds of Jesus that qualify him as our high priest, as our savior. It's the fact that Jesus experienced weakness and suffering and death just like all of us experience, that makes him able to be our high priest, to be our brother, to be our savior. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become 
the righteousness of God. My friends, that's what Good Friday is about. That's what we remember on this day. Of course, that's not the whole story. You get the other side of the story on Easter Sunday, and Russell will will tell you that part uh, in a couple days. But for right now, I want you to think about that, that idea that it's the wounds of Jesus that make him qualified, that make him able to be our healer. Uh, In just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And this will be a little bit strange, doing communion in this way. It's usually kind of a group thing, and now we are physically distant, but we're not distant in spirit. Uh, if you feel a little bit odd about taking communion in this way, that's okay. But you might, it might help to know that Christians throughout history have taken communion in all sorts of strange circumstances, often stranger than this. And they have still, uh, still participated in that, still remembered the death of Jesus in that way. And uh, so I'm going to invite Russell to come back up. He's going to play a song And uh, while he's playing that song, I want you to do two things. The first, if you've got uh, bread and wine or anything like those two things in your house, run and grab them, and we're all going to do communion together. It's okay if you don't have quite the right things. You won't be the first Christian to observe communion without having quite the right things. But if you've got something like bread and wine in your house, grab those things. And the second is this. I want you to think and pray And thank the Lord for what he has done for you on this day. I want you to thank God for his wounds that made made Jesus able to be your healer. And maybe if you're you're thinking of something that you are especially thankful for on this day, on on Good Friday, maybe you can write that in the the chat section of, uh, of of the video site of YouTube or wherever you're watching this. If you can write that on in the chat section, Maybe somebody else will see that and be encouraged. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that would be a cool thing to do. So take a moment, thank the Lord for what he has done for you, and, and maybe write something in the chat section. I'll come back in just a minute, and we'll do communion together. Once again, maybe not in a way you've done it before, but we find ourselves here with the bread and the wine, and we are reminded that Jesus came in flesh and blood. That he came to us when we could not come to him. We are reminded that he came to us in weakness, in suffering, that he came that he became like us in every way so he could stand in our place. We are reminded that somehow he is present among us even now. There's an old song that says, I believe that he's here now, standing in our midst, here with the power to heal and the grace to forgive. I do believe that. Let's pray before we take communion together. Lord, we hear these old stories of what you have done for us. 
Some of us maybe are hearing for the very first time. Some of us are hearing for the hundredth or the thousandth time. Lord, we are in awe, just the same. We are in awe of what you've done for us, and we don't know what to say except thank you. We don't know how to respond except to put our faith in you. So Lord, help us to put our faith in you. Help us, Lord, as Paul said, to be people who carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus can be revealed in our bodies also. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Amen. Amen. Russell, I think you have another song. Let's just sing that last verse of that song we just sang before we leave and we look forward to gathering again on on Sunday and uh, thanks Jesse for just leading us and sharing God's word and leading us in communion and just be encouraged friend the Lord is near he's with us let's sing that amen to that God bless you friends see you Sunday